This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, July 17th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. The president wants to tear down barriers to shipping goods to and from the U.S. and within the several states. Sorta. Cato's Scott Lincecum and Colin Grabo detail how the president supports lowering some barriers to shipping and the destructive barriers the Biden administration appears to have no problem keeping in place. What does the president propose with respect to shipping in and among the several states and with other countries? Right. So there's two areas. Um, first, uh, there's rail and second is ocean shipping. On on the rail side, uh, it's not really clear, although the um, theory of the case is that he wants to essentially force rail freight companies to take on uh, to allow other freight companies, their competitors, to use their rails in certain concentrated markets, areas where one rail company is doing the service. Um, on ocean shipping, they want to go after um, two issues that have just popped up in the pandemic um, th- that have become emphasized in the pandemic, and that is um, detention and demurrage, which is just a, a really fancy way of saying ocean shippers charging uh, companies fees for holding their goods for a little while. And then the other is for, uh, shipping companies refusing to put exports, um, on their boats and ship them all over the world. Colin, you want to jump in there? Yes. So during the pandemic, there's been, um, an increased demand for imports and, uh, consequently Americans, typically we export to Asia commodities, which are typically low value, uh, whereas we're importing, uh, higher value consumer goods and so forth. So what's happened is there's become an incentive for, uh, shipping companies rather than load their containers in the United States with say agricultural commodities to instead just take the empty containers and get them back to Asia as quickly as possible so that they can be uh, refilled with more consumer goods to bring over to the United States. This has uh, upset U.S. Uh, exporters of, of these products because they're finding it increasingly difficult uh, to, to get their goods to market. What's the big thing that's not in here? I mean, we assume that the, that the Biden administration believes that the government has some sort of special knowledge in order to plan logistics for uh, many industries throughout the economy. But what's missing here in terms of just getting out of the way? Well, I think what's missing here is that it's interesting that the Biden administration has identified ocean shipping as an area uh, with insufficient competition and which uh, where Americans need more choices more competition, more options for shipping. Um, but, but the problem is that, uh, the federal government doesn't have a great deal of oversight or power to influence international shipping. This is international and much of it occurs outside of our borders. But what the federal government has far more authority over is ocean shipping that occurs within the United States, uh, between American ports. Uh, this, of course, is all subject to the Jones Act, but the Biden administration, uh, is totally silent on the Jones Act in his latest executive order. Uh, it does not identify the Jones Act as a cause of reduced competition. Um, and of course, the Biden administration has in fact stated its support for the Jones Act repeatedly. So an area where it has minimal influence over, uh, it's identified that as an area it'd like to get more involved, but an area of ocean shipping where it has much more authority, uh, it's completely silent and in fact is in support of the status quo. Yeah, and, and I think the the other really uh, big issue here is that if you look at the long-term trends in rail freight 
costs. And and they also want to go after airlines for a few things. You look at airline passenger fares uh, and even global shipping costs. The long-term trends are, are generally declining. Uh, so things, you know, those prices are either getting cheaper or staying basically the same on inflation-adjusted terms. Um, and yet those are the areas they're targeting. And, you know, some of it, like I said, when it comes to issues like detention and demurrage, um, these are long-standing issues that um, have been conflicts between global shippers and, and exporters and importers forever. Um, and so they really seem to be just kind of chasing headlines while, as Colin notes, totally ignoring um, how U.S. laws and some of the po very policies they support are inflating costs in shipping. And, you know, again, you know, we have these cabotage, cabotage laws, um, not only in coastwise shipping, but also in, in airfare and airlines. So, you know, we prevent foreign airlines from servicing domestic airports. So from going from, say, Houston to uh, here in Raleigh. And so um, they that's been ignored. They also ignore how the president loves Buy American rules, which have been shown to increase the cost of rail projects. And because part of the uh, executive order actually targets passenger, how passenger rail is affected by freight rail. Never mind that we're uh, imposing by American rules that increase the cost of not just the freight rail, or sorry, the passenger rail cars, but the rails themselves. We saw some big deregulation of shipping and passenger travel in the late 1970s, This the Carter era. Um, deregulations. And there is some evidence that that those deregulations continue to contribute uh, a not insignificant amount of GDP. Is that what the Biden administration is going for here? Or is it just I mean, it's not clear to me what the what the goal is. Well, yeah, I think unfortunately, I think the goal is is political uh, rather than economic. Um, if you again, if you look at these long term trends in in airfare and in freight rail, there's just not a massive case for needing to get the government involved. It looks like deregulation has worked pretty darn well. Um, but if you back up and you realize that the 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 folks in the Biden administration that are running competition policy have openly said they want a far more political and social and discretionary competition policy and one far less tethered to economics and what we call the consumer welfare standard, um, then it makes all perfect sense because this is about using competition policy to go after unfavored big companies um, and then to use the hammer of the state to help supposedly uh, favored uh, companies and, and individuals. Yeah, if I could just add to that, um, when, as Scott said, when it comes to transportation policy and, and competition more generally, we know it works. Deregulation, we've done it before. It's had uh, very, you know extremely benef uh, beneficial uh, impact on U.S. consumers and the industries themselves. I would submit not just consumers, but the airline industry is better for it. You know, we have more planes flying than ever before. Um, so we know it works. Uh, it's also worth noting that these initiatives, Caleb, you point out this happened back during the 1970s. This was supported uh, largely by Democrats. Uh, Jimmy Carter. Ted Kennedy Senator led the charge. Senator Ted Kennedy. Uh, Ralph Nader 
was an advocate for these kinds of changes. Um, so again, we know it works, and it's interesting to contrast all the competition that we do see in, in the airline industry, for example, with uh, the ocean shipping industry here in the United States. That is to say, the Jones Act industry. When it comes to shipping to, say, Alaska, you have two companies to choose from. There's Matson and there's Tote. You want to ship something to Hawaii, there's two companies to choose from. There's Matson and there's Pasha. You want to send something to Puerto Rico, Two companies have 85% of the container capacity. Uh, not just that, but there's high barriers to entry. If you want to get involved in these uh, in these trades and, and compete with the existing players, we have to buy a new ship. There is no used ship market. You want to buy a new ship that's going to cost you $200 million plus per vessel. Um, so very high barriers to entry, uh, duopolies all over the place. And yet the administration, sadly, is silent on this issue. Yeah. And I would add two things. One is uh, if you look at, say, passenger rail, uh, you also see that Amtrak fares uh, in direct contrast to those freight, the deregulated freight rail sector, Amtrak fares have steadily gone up again on an inflation adjusted basis. So that's another nice contrast. Um, and then I think the other really important point is how are the Jones Act um, actually affects freight rail and trucking? Because if you think about you, there is a clear potential market for shipping goods from, say, Houston to Boston or from Charleston to, to New Jersey. Um, and that market's essentially dead. Um, and by contrast, well, what is what is the alternative? Well, you're using trucks to go right up I-95 um, or you're using freight rail. And so the that, of course, uh, encourages uh, the very concentration in those markets that the Biden administration claims to be targeting. My ears perked up when you said that the Biden administration is going for a more discretionary competition policy. And uh, when I yeah. uh, picture the cartoon version of that, I imagine them bringing more levers in to give the president and uh, various administrative uh, agencies more authority to pull this lever or that lever to increase or lower costs on right. a whim. And, uh, you know, having watched our experience with uh, Donald Trump uh, throwing up trade barriers on a whim, having had that authority delegated to him by Congress over the years, it doesn't seem like a good thing for competitiveness. It doesn't seem like a good thing for companies that want to be able to depend on rules in order to make decisions and investments. Right. And if you look at the economics literature that has come out during the Trump trade war era, uh, you see pretty uniformly that those actions and the president's threat of additional actions based on that discretion you described um, has depressed investment, has depressed stock market returns, has depressed output in manufacturing. And you're right. So the to give... Um, the FTC or another agency even more discretion uh, to inject even more uncertainty into these areas um, is is you're, you're right it's a potential a potential problem and one that might drag on growth um, and the other point I think that's critical when you talk about the tariffs the Trump tariffs is they uh, are producing exactly the type of cons anti-consumer uh, pro-concentration problems that 
the president, again, claims to be attacking. Um, you see that steel users have almost no choice in the U.S. market but to use U.S. steel, which is an industry that is becoming increasingly concentrated. And of course, prices are are through the roof. Um, and so it's that type of political picking winners and losers that uh, has the potential to create quite significant economic problems uh, that we really just don't see um, that are kind of just unseen slowing growth and investment. Scott Lincecum is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Colin Grabo is a policy analyst at Cato. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.